All right, folks. I got to tell you why I chose today's verse. Because of a question that has been raised a couple of times. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the older apostle Paul, who is a spiritual father to Timothy, he's writing to this younger Timothy, who is a pastor in Ephesus, and, and he's hoping to come and visit him. And he knows that the possibility is that could get delayed. And so he wrote this in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, If I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. I'm giving you some instructions on how to live out the things that are necessary so you can be effective in the ministry that God has called you to. Now, within the instructions on how to conduct himself, he says to Timothy, and this is our memory verse for today, in chapter 4, verse 12, let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Twice in the last month, I have had relayed to me a question put by a third party. In each case, the people asking the question were, because they were younger, asking this question, will I be heard? Will I be listened to? Will anyone pay attention to me because I just tend to be at the younger, uh, the under, younger end of the spectrum of our church, so will I, dis- will I be dismissed if I speak up? Is it worth my time to say anything? Legitimate questions. Now, before we get any deeper into the text... I want to make this statement so you, all of you understand what is, what is going on here. I am on record, and our leaders will tell you this, I am on record as saying we need to be listening to you younger people. We need to be listening to you. The world is changing so fast around us that we are always in danger of quickly becoming irrelevant because we have no clue as to how the world changed and we're still trying to minister into something 10, 15, 20 years behind the times. So, you younger people can help keep us up to speed. We need you. Plain and simple. And you have a listening ear from me and I believe you will have it from others, others within leadership. It's just got to happen if we are going to move forward and remain viable as a church. Now, let me add something to that. We're not about to turn the reins of leadership over to you tomorrow. And I'll walk away. Because we're very much aware that whereas you have insight and you can help us understand what's happening in our culture, what is going on, we're also very much aware you've got a lot of growth to do yet before reins of leadership are placed into your hands. You wouldn't want it right now. But we do need to hear from you. Not just willing to. We need to. And so that comes not only as an encouragement to those of you who are younger, but it comes as an exhortation to those of us who are older to let's pay attention to this 
Let's not dismiss those who are younger and understand that they are valuable to us. Now, having said that, let's come back to the text. Today's verse acknowledges that youth in and of itself can be a detriment to being heard, to having an influence. It acknowledges the fact that these, two, these questions that have come from two different sources that have said, will I be listened to being young or will I be dismissed, acknowledges that can be a problem. Paul writes, let no one despise your youth. But he offers instruction within this verse on how to minimize that detrimental effect. Timothy's case was his youth. But I'd like to suggest the possibility that we all have things that inhibit our influence. So this does not bear only upon those who are younger, although most directly it does. But I think there are some other things. I have heard it said, and I won't put a name to it this time around, but if you ask me later, I'll tell you it's Carol Dahl who um, says that because she's a woman, she feels like she hasn't been heard at times. You have said that, haven't you, Carol? Yes, she has. Okay, there she is. All right. I imagine there's other here, others here who feel that. All right, you have felt like, yeah, well, you know, it's just how this is in the context of a church or when there's a group of men around. It's like they just dismiss us because we're female. All right. I have heard it said that there are people... I've had people complain to me directly. In fact, I've actually had somebody threaten to leave the church. I'm not exaggerating. They were contemplating leaving the church because they felt like others held more sway than they did. Others bore more influence than they had. What are they saying? Not being heard the way I would like to be heard. True or not, whether as female or somebody having more sway, we feel it and it's real. I feel the reality every day that, you know what? <laughs> if I could have been Dave Brees, I could have been somebody. Guys, any of you remember Dave Brees? He was a guy out in the 60s and 70s. Forgive me that I take you back that far. Peggy remembers Dave, okay? This was, this was Dave Brees. He used to come and speak at the Displains Bible Church where I came to Christ. And if Dave was standing here in the pulpit, he'd be about this tall. And Dave had this rich, deep voice. And Dave loved to speak on eschatology. And when he did, he loved to spread out his hands. And there was this wingspan with these big hands on the side of it. Just like he just owned the presence in that pulpit by his size. Oh, I thought I'd been neat to be that big. I'm still trying. I'm still trying. It seems to be going the other way, I'm afraid. I don't know if I'm ever going to get there in this direction. But I'm all, I, I definitely feel an insecurity about there's other people who just have a presence in their very physicalness that will give weight to what they say that I'm never going to have. There are people who, because of their educational status, seem to stand out. People because of social status. Maybe you have felt you don't have the right family name. And therefore, you're not heard like you should be. Or maybe it's even the far other end of the spectrum. He's talking to Timothy about his youth. Maybe you feel like... 
people don't listen to me anymore because I'm old and my word doesn't matter. Well, at the end of the day, it's kind of passed me off as this, as this old person. I've got to tell you, there was just one little bit of satisfaction on the sixth grade trip this past week because the, uh, this one girl said to her mom and dad, who were chaperones, somehow got into the discussion, and they, uh, they had the front desk ring all the kids' rooms for a wake-up call. And, and she said to her parents, I didn't know how to answer the phone. I thought that was rather nice. <laughs> just like, you just pick it up. Her parents were you just pick it up is what you do. So they never answered the wake call because they didn't know what to do when the phone rang. What do we do with the phone? And I thought, yes, these kids, these kids with all their technology think they're so smart, but you don't even know to just pick up the phone and talk, all right? All right, so that felt good. And if for, you know, for somebody you start getting older, you go, yeah, that, that's good. That turnaround is fair play. But it could be at the other, other end of the spectrum that we begin to feel like we're dismissed. Although our inhibiting factors may vary greatly, what it is that any of us might feel, whereby people don't pay attention to me, the solution is really rather uniform. Here's the good news. Even though we all have things that, in, that inhibit our influence, we can all do things that enhance our influence. So Paul writes, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He says, hey, you are young. The tendency is that some might not listen to you and you might be readily dismissed because of your youth. But here's how you confront that, Timothy. And I would say to any of us who feel insecure about the things that we have mentioned or our own things where we feel like we're not being heard, our influence isn't what we would want it to be. He said, become an example. Become an example to the believers in the church. Become one who demonstrates this is what Christ-likeness looks like. Become one whom others can follow. And he says, here are some areas you might want to be thinking about as far as an example will bear weight upon your ministry or your influence within the church. Be an example in word. Boy, I had it illustrated for me this week how our word and what we speak really affects people's impression of us. I've mentioned I was on the sixth grade trip. And uh, one of the privileges of being on it is we first, our first thing we go to is uh, Tuesday night. I was at the Twins game. It's a fun part of the trip. It's just a good time. And they're always very gracious not to leave the bus driver sitting out in the bus for the whole game. They give him a ticket. I go and I join the group of people. Now, I've got to set something up for you. I'm on, this, I'm on an aisle seat. Right next to me is one of the mom chaperones who is there. And then right on the next to her are the two more adults who are part of this trip. And it's a guy and then his wife. And so here are these four adults here. We're just having a good time. Immediately in front of us are three 
of the sixth grade girls within our trip. We're just, it's a beautiful night. We're relaxing. We're having a good time. Small group of men comes down, about four of them. They sit in the next row down. As it turns out, because of a work connection, they know the guy in seat three. They all work for the same company. So they get to, they get to chit-chatting. And, uh, oh, there you are. Okay, we're here. Good. That's all good. Why are you here? Person in seat three, why are you here? He says, "Uh, I'm I'm here with a sixth grade trip from our school up in New Folden. And the guy who is, now you got to get the setting. He's facing him. There's a woman immediately between us. Three sixth grade girls right here. So when I say he's talking over their heads, I mean literally. All right, he's right here. When he learns that this guy here in C3 is from uh, on a sixth grade trip, the first thing this character says is, Oh, does that mean I can't say blank then? And he uses a crude word. And I felt like saying, Yeah, it'd be a pretty good idea if you didn't talk that way. What a jerk is all I could think of. How cool, how tough are you that you're making it clear to everyone in your presence that you're not going to change your language because there are three sixth grade girls sitting here right in front of you and there is a woman in seat two. You're not changing your language for anyone. Wow, you're real impressive, buddy. You know, you're, you're the kind of guy that I want to teach my sons to grow up and be like that. Make sure you use vulgar language in front of sixth grade girls who can't escape from hearing it and women who are around you. That's, that's a great guy to grow up into, right? Now, here's my point. His use of one word totally tanked any positive impression I might have had for that guy. Any joy that I might have had that the guy in C3 knows these guys. Isn't that fun? And all I can think of is you are an absolute jerk. You don't know these kids. You don't know this woman. That may be acceptable within your party, three seats down and forward. It's not acceptable to speak it right over these girls' heads and to speak it in a way that says, uh, I know I probably shouldn't speak this way, but I'm going to anyways. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, make sure you use your language, that the words that you use, that how you communicate are godly and edifying and uplifting. And when you do that, Timothy, even though you're young, people will respect you, not quickly dismiss you as either young or, in my case, a jerk. No, I'm sure somewhere in there, God's trying to get hold of me and saying, hey, give this guy a break. I'm not giving him a break yet. <laughs> it just ticks me off to even think that somehow that was, he thought that could be appropriate. And it taught me Our words create an impression right now. So if you were to think about, and I I thought it would be kind of fun one day to do this, but I I won't here. 
Now, that would really be fun. If we were to just think about all the different places where Scripture tells us how to use our tongue, I'll bet we could collectively come up with two dozen right now. I'm going to just remind you of two, and your minds will go to many, many other things. In Colossians 4, 6, Paul wrote this, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. In discussing those who are having questions about where we're coming from, and, and uh, yeah, so you have a different view. Hey, let your speech be with grace. And here, here's one I think is interesting. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now there's a context to that in which he's talking about not taking an oath. Not swearing by the temple, or swearing by this, or swearing by that. He says, look, let your words stand on their own. And when you say yes, let it mean yes. And when you say no, let it mean no. Anything more that you're doing is going to be evil. You know, it is so frustrating to deal with somebody who will not give you a straight answer. It is so frustrating when you're asking somebody a question and they will not give you a yes or a no, and they are just going to mess with your mind. And I've seen it happen. (laughs) And I've seen it happen. And I've seen people who are not giving a straight answer and then upset when you don't do what they wanted you to do. And now they're going to hold that against you. They got a little bit of a grudge to bear. It's like, hey, dude, you were never clear in your communication. All right. Timothy, be an example in word. And you guys can think of many, many other things, again, as I said, that the Scripture teaches us about that. Be an example in conduct. Your behavior. Does it demonstrate something that people will respect, that they'll be drawn to, or does it demonstrate something you go, eh? I don't want to be around that guy. First time ever, I was in a public-type meeting a few weeks back in Warren and discussing some issues that will definitely directly affect the use of our land out here north and east of town. It's going to definitely impact that. So I got a chance to speak in this, and uh, um, there was one guy in particular in answering my question. I tell you what, he was trying to sell me a bill of goods. And I could see it. All right? Everybody else seemed to want to deal with my question honestly, and this guy was trying to sell me a bill of goods. And I found myself just thinking, I do not like you. I do not like the way you're going about this. I do not like what you're trying to accomplish. I have a feeling you're personally invested in this outcome, and you're trying to sell me on it. But what you're telling me is not to my benefit. I'm somehow supposed to be excited that it's going to benefit you, And not me, when you take my land from me? Hello, not buying it, buddy. Not buying it, see? And I I was just put off by this guy. Because his conduct and how he was going, his words were fine. His words were attempting to convince me. But his conduct, his deportment was slippery. If I could, I just, because neither of them are here, so I feel free to say this. True story. Maybe I've said this before. Forgive me, but it's a great example. We built this addition however many years ago. We are having phone service uh, worked on right here in the office. He's over here, and here's a young man. And uh, he comes in. He does our phone work. He visits with me for a few minutes. I get a sense the guy's a believer. He walks out the door, and I literally prayed this. 
Lord, if we could have that young man in our church, that would be a blessing. Because there was something about him that was so sincere and so honest. And clearly you were drawn to what you saw. And that's why to this day I thank God that the Paul Hansen family attends here. There's another guy, and it, I think, runs in the same vein, because I know I've said it to many men, a guy that just started to get to know uh, six, seven years back. I don't know what it was. But I have said to many guys, I've said, as, as we were, he was becoming, he and his wife were becoming part of our church, I said, there's a quality in Randy Rose that you only have to talk to him for a couple of minutes, and you know there is quality resident in this guy. And you're drawn to people like this, right? You want them to be around you, as opposed to the other guy whose conduct is such, you go, sorry, not interested. I don't need to hear from you anymore. All right? He's telling Timothy, Timothy, your conduct is going to affect how people receive you. And you can conduct yourself in such a way that people will be drawn to you and they will want to hear what you have to say, even if they don't agree with you, or you can conduct yourself in such a way that you alienate people. But, Timothy, be wise in how you conduct yourself. He says, love. Uh, where does love fit into the, into, the, uh, into the expressions of your life? Give you some illustrations. These I can't name. But it has happened on more than one occasion that I have some woman who needs to talk, comes into my office, we talk for a while, and I realize, you know what this woman needs? I'm not her best help. She needs another loving woman who will come alongside of her and help her process and walk with her through this. And it has always been an, a wonderful joy. And because I'm talking about real people and real lives, I won't name the women who I've gone through, but it's always been a wonderful joy to be able to call up particular women who I knew, she will provide the loving, caring, gracious, safe place for this woman, hurting woman to come and, and to help process life together. Timothy, is love part of how you comport yourself? Is love something that people are safe in your presence? that they know that if they open up the, the sacredness of their soul to you, that um, you will not tread on that. Love. Spirit. Best I can do with this one is speak in terms of, because it doesn't say the Spirit, to speak in terms of what is, what is the Spirit with which we generally live life. What is the spirit that we give off? And that comes through in a number of different ways. And we'll just speak to just one because we've got to keep it moving. Here's one. Do I have a spirit that says I always have to win? I always got to win. If you and I have a difference of opinion, I got to win. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat my point home hard because I have to win. I've always got to come out on top. I know people who are like that. Always got to win. Guess what? That will alienate people, Timothy, if you always have to win. That's why later in, in the second book, we'll get there next week, it says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, 
able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. As you're discussing important things, and things in which, Timothy, your position is right, and they need to understand your position, it has eternal implications to it. He says, but you're not going to badger them into agreeing with you, but your comportment, your spirit, needs to be patient and humble like Christ came. And then the text goes on to say, God can work in their lives. God can give them to deliverance. God can change their minds. But Timothy, you don't have to beat them to death with your point. All right, so that's spirit. And last, finally, faith. All right, faith. And uh, here's another place. You say, Timothy, how do you demonstrate faith as you walk among your people? How are you demonstrating that? And you know, faith, friends, often in the Scriptures, and huge topic that one could get on, but often in the Scriptures, faith is about uh, living out our lives in adversity, is it not? Is we have the faith to say, you know, there's some troublesome things coming at me. I'm fighting some headwinds, but I'm still trusting God as I fight these headwinds. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said this about faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You're going to be able to withstand when your faith is real and you stay trusting in God. And then lastly is purity. You know, that shows up, friends, doesn't it? That shows up in who we are, whether or not there is a mortal, moral purity to our lives, whether or not there is a spiritual purity that we are. Here's, here's how it strikes me. We are who we are in church, among believers, as well as when we're not in church and we're among unbelievers. And we're walking out there where sometimes the language and the jokes are coarse and, and uh, the worldview is different than ours, and, but we don't change. Because this is, this is who we are. And it's singular and it's true. And we live that out. And that will be noticed and that will be seen at times. It will even be, bear affliction for that. Not a holier-than-thou kind of thing, but just a thing that says, this is how I live because of the transforming work that Jesus Christ is doing in my life. And for me to absorb all of what you're about right now with all of the humor and the language and the, and the comments, uh, sorry, I, I, I can't go there. And, uh, yeah, so, purity, all right. So, some areas. Paul points out to Timothy, hey, you, you have a potential problem because you're young. Here's how you overcome that. We may have a potential problem because we're female, because we're old and short, and we have a squeaky voice, okay? May have a problem in that area. May have a problem because I don't have the education. I don't have the status. I don't have the name. I don't have all these things that we, we tend to consider as, oh, that's really important, and so then we feel insecure, well, here's, here's the bottom line, friends. We can't change. We can't change people's prejudices towards these different issues. If they got them, they got them. But we don't have to roll over and be a victim to them. And it, it isn't a matter of fighting for our rights, demanding that we be heard. I always chuckle when people within the context of the church and discussions that are going on, I always chuckle when they want to demand their rights, I have a right to this. And I think, aren't we told to follow the example of Jesus who gave up his right to be glorified as God and became a servant and died and went all the way to the cross? What do you mean you're fighting for your rights? 
within the context of the church. This isn't American political democracy. This is the church where we're learning how to live with one another, doing life together in such a way that we treat one another with grace and kindness and love, and we try and sort through the difficult things. So it's not a matter of getting angry and demand that we be heard. It's a matter of striving to be like Christ. And in that, we will get heard. Because there will be a presence that is known as significant and worthwhile. So I'm going to wrap it up here. I mentioned to you that I've had a person, and this is true, threatened to leave the church because other people's voices bore more weight. People listened to them more than they listened to this complainer's voice and said, I'm thinking of leaving the church. And the first thought that went through my mind when I heard that was, there's a reason their voices are listened to. Because your behavior does not garner respect. Your behavior is inappropriate. And your behavior distances people from you. You see, friends, we have had, in the context of our history together, we have had some remarkable people. I say when I'm often in other places, I say openly, we have some of the most godly men and women in this church I've ever met in my life, that it's been my privilege to serve alongside of them. And I knew, I knew who this individual was speaking about because I know the respect that these individuals have carried in this church. One of them isn't here anymore, so I can speak about Lowell. One of them is here and doesn't want me to speak about him, but I'm still going to name Lars, Larry Bursness, because he's an example entirely to what we're talking about here. Do you remember we acknowledged Larry and his 60 years of being on our board? That is an incredible story. Sixty years, nonstop, he served on our board. He was first placed on our board when he was 22 years old. That's younger than Timothy is when Paul says, don't let anybody despise your youth. And he kept getting elected back and back and back and back to the board for 60 years and nobody batted an eyelash started when he was young. It went until he was old. Until he just decided physically it's time that we need to be done. Why was that? Why was it that Lowell, at his funeral, had so many younger people come? So many younger people come to his funeral. A guy that age? Why were the younger people coming? Because guys like Lowell and Larry have demonstrated for years exactly what Paul was trying to teach Timothy about. They are exemplary in their Christ-like presence. And people saw it, respected it, and the two of them had amazing presences in our church during their seasons of leadership. 
And there he's going to continue to have a presence in our church because we know and respect and love him. Larry, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but here's the point. You are the example to what Paul was saying to Timothy, and I just had to say it. Because it started when you were so young. And we're thankful for you, brother. We're thankful for you. We all have things that will inhibit from time to time or with certain people, whether or not we're going to be heard, whether or not we'll be respected, whether or not people will consider uh, our voice as significant. We've all got them. But Paul points out there are things that can overcome that, that can enhance our presence. And it, bottom line, comes down to this. Who are we? And are we living in such a Christ-like way that people are drawn to us because they see something real? They see something qualitatively that is, is uh, appealing? And they see something that is like, you know what? I wish I could be like that. That's what I want to be like. I've said it many, many times through the years. I will never, ever attain to the level of, of Christ-like godliness demonstrated in the church that both Larry and Lowell have demonstrated for us for all these years. I know I'll never get there. But I tell you what, if you're asking me for an example to follow, I'll give you their names right away. Isn't it exciting to think we don't have to roll over? We don't have to fight and argue and demand to be heard. We simply need to allow God to transform us into Christ-likeness. And people will see the difference and they will respect that. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you're seeking to build into the body people who love and care for one another. Thank you, Lord, that uh, at times we, we are things, we do things that inhibit our, our influence and our being able to be a blessing to others, but you've shown us a path to allow Christ to transform us so that in him becoming our image, now we can bear a new and fresh and real influence in ways that matter, Lord. Thank you for that, for the hope that is, pertains to each of us now. And so we ask that you would change us more into his image. This week, may it be apparent, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.